The following program is an encore presentation. Just give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice, and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. As a filmmaker, positive psychology coach, author, professor, and change agent specializing in the field of happiness, Lisa Cybers Kamen is widely recognized as an expert in the field. On the show, she also focuses on military families and service personnel returning with PTSD, traumatic brain injury, and other post-deployment civilian life reintegration issues. So, let's spend some time getting to the heart of the matter on Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now, here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, where we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is all about the heart. Today we're talking about applying meditation as a tool for mindful living. You know, so much of what we read about and what we see today talks about mindfulness, presence, be here now, you know, now is the only thing we've got. It's, you know, it's it's a gift and that's why we call it the present and so on and so forth. But how do we make this our reality in the busy world in which we live? Susie Yaloff Schwartz has done just that. Susie is the founder and chief meditation officer of Unplug Meditation. Before becoming a spiritual entrepreneur, Susie enjoyed decades as a fashion editor, director, and stylist. The New York Times touted her as the fairy godmother of makeovers. Oh, that's pretty special. That's neat. She's worked at Vogue, Elle, Marie Claire, and Glamour. She was a regular on a host of all of the most illustrious TV shows and made appearances on Oprah and CNN. Susie had an aha moment in late 2012 when she wanted to learn how to meditate and couldn't find a place that fit her schedule, budget, or aesthetic and I think this is a really important component so I want to bring Susie on right away and talk about this because it's not a one-size-fit-all thing meditation hi Susie good morning good morning Lisa thank you for having me on your show 
Oh, my pleasure. This this is a great subject. I, too, am a, a meditator, and I do use mindfulness in my private practice and in our nonprofit work with veterans. So I have a personal interest in the subject matter and in your approach, which is about making it relevant and user-friendly. Right. So let's talk about this. How did you go from being a fashion executive to being a spiritual entrepreneur? Well, I went from it in one second, pretty much. I wanted to learn how to meditate after my mother-in-law suggested that I actually needed it (laughs) to handle my three children. And when I went to go look to learn how to meditate, I found that the only things that were being offered were eight-week programs or four-day intensive courses for a lot of money. And I thought to myself, where, where's the place where you can just try it or dabble in it and see what it's like? And it did not exist. So I thought to myself, wow, how can this not exist? I mean, mindfulness is such a hot topic right now. And then I said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to make this. And at that moment, I just switched everything. I just, it was an idea that came to me, and then I decided at that moment to do it. So I embraced on all of the courses in meditation, Vedic, anything that I could get my hands on, UCLA program. And I found that fundamentally all of the meditations were the same. It was about focus, attention, letting go, and thinking. Or, or the, uh, the art of uh, not thinking about thinking. Well, well, the thing is, is the first thing that they'll always tell you, a lot of people say the biggest question is, I can't meditate because I think too much. And the truth is, is that meditation is a dance between thinking and focusing and letting go. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter whether you're using a Sanskrit word or a mantra or you're using a body part to focus on or you're focusing on your breath or you're focusing on a raisin. It all fundamentally boils down to that. So you can never 100% turn off your thought. It just no. is not possible. Of course. So as long as we're alive, we're thinking. Exactly. So the trick is how your relationships to your thoughts, and that's what meditation is all about. It's about being able to access your own inner pause button. Oh, someone just said something to me. Oh, that kind of hurts my feelings. Let me pause. Why do I care? Oh, maybe I don't. Let me press play. (laughs) So you're able to actually experience what you're thinking and feeling at the time that you're doing it. Yep, I, 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 I gotcha. I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I am, I'm right there walking that talk too. Um, let's talk about your desire, the desire to open a meditation studio to opening the meditation studio. Well, what happened was first came the idea, and then I went all over Los Angeles and tried every meditation class that I could possibly get access to, and there were many of those meditation classes. And as a fashion editor and editor, I would sit through the classes and I would mentally edit. So, hmm, I wish he didn't talk so much during my meditation time. Okay, note to self, I'm going to make it a little bit less about the talk. So I was kind of taking notes during that period of time, and at the same time, I was writing a business plan. Oh, in my meditation studio, if I should have something like that, it would not have um, incense burning so that I can breathe. (laughs) So I decided (laughs) I wouldn't have any fragrances going on in my meditation studio, and it, it kind of worked out like that. 
And um, you studied with some amazing people. You studied, studied mindful-based stress reduction with Stephanie Goldstein and Nicholas Bruss. You came up with a program that works for us hurried Americans, us modern Americans that are running around. Right. I mean, you know, I actually learned a lot of meditation from the UCLA MARC program. That was where I first kind of started learning about meditation. And it's an excellent program if you have six weeks to learn about meditation because you'll learn everything. And then after I took that program, I introduced myself to Steve Ross, who is a yogi Buddhist monk out here, and did private meditation classes with him. And I was so inspired by him that I asked him to help me open up this meditation studio. And then I went out and I thought after all the different people that I had read about online or that I saw online and started taking meetings with all them. And that's when I asked Stephanie and Nicholas to join the Unplugged team as teachers. And I trained them with Steve Ross, um, who was doing one type of meditation. And after that, the two of them said, you know, you really need to get um, a more broad overview of mindfulness, and we can teach that. So then they taught everybody else the mindfulness side of the meditation. So I was kind of making a cocktail of spirituality and science. And when one comes to your studio, what can he or she expect? You can expect to, you know, be greeted by friendly people who would love to talk to you if you want to talk to them. If not, you can kind of hang out in the Zen garden that's right outside of the studio. And then once you enter into the studio, there are floor chairs that feel like little Tempur-Pedic mattresses, and they go into five different positions so you can find the perfect angle for your body. And then the teacher will kind of explain to you, uh, give a little dharmat, a little story that's inspirational that is going to pertain to the exact meditation that they'll do. And then they'll describe to you the meditation that they're going to do and the technique to that meditation, and then guide you into that meditation. Then a bell will ring, and then you'll have quiet time, and then a bell will ring, and then they'll guide you out. And at the end, they like to let you sit with your own experience as opposed to having a sharing experience in the room. And if you do want to talk to the teachers, you can. And is this done as a yoga for the mind or a mind spa kind of experience? You can drop in and experience it as one isolated event, or do you have to sign up for a series? It is one isolated event. So if you want to come try it out, first class is free. Or if you want to buy a class, it's $20. Or if you want to have a package, you can do that as well. I mean, we're doing a 30-day meditation challenge that several people are doing right now, and it's been absolutely amazing, the effects that it's had on the people that have done it. You know, we, we say it's a practice and not a perfect, but the more you do it, the more you can experience the effects. We are going to go to a break, and when we come back, we're going to carry on the conversation specifically about the positive effects of meditation. To learn more, you can visit unplugmeditation.com. On Twitter, it is at unplugmeditati, and on Facebook, unplugmeditation. Here come those tunes. We'll be right back and carry on our conversation about applying meditation to modern mindful living. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on toginet.com. 
Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Happiness is an inside job. Wear the message on t-shirts, baseball caps, sterling silver designer jewelry, and more. Please visit our online boutique at www.harvestinghappiness.com. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress came and has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. Available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, we are speaking with Susie Yaloff-Schwartz about meditation and how it applies to modern mindful living. And if you are just tuning in now, please visit us on iTunes and download the entire podcast. It is available 24-7, 365. It is kind, it's legal, and it is free. So Susie, let's talk a little bit about the physiological effects of meditation and what makes it such a spectacular practice. Oh, there are so many. I mean, in fact, I just went to a cardiologist meeting at UCLA and one of the head cardiologists was saying that stress can actually kill you because it can really damage your heart. And meditation has proven to alleviate stress. So if stress can kill you, then meditation can technically save your life. And a lot of people are focusing so much on their body, but they're not focusing on on their mind. And that's a very important thing. We're overstimulating ourselves all the time, and then we're sleeping. But we're not creating that space in between. And it is so important for your stress level and for your life to create space for yourself. Indeed. And, you know, there are several benefits of meditation. One, of course, is this, the overall stress reduction. But in that stress reduction process, several things happen to the body that, um, the heart rate drops, the blood pressure drops, our pulse reduces, our breathing becomes more regular and deeper, that we're actually oxygenating our brains and our bodies more fully. And these are some of the immediate benefits. But the byproduct of doing of, of all of these things happening in our bodies is an elevation in 
positive emotion, an elevation in hormones that are released in the brain and in the body that promote well-being, that promote healing. And I think that's personally what makes it so spectacular to me and the clients that I work with is that we're offering an alternative or an addition to some of the other tools available out there. Right. I mean, it, it's been proven to make you happier. It's been proven to improve your mood. It's been proven to help you sleep better. There are so many studies going on right now, and it seems that meditation can really just change everything in the way that you feel physically, mentally, and spiritually. So it seems interesting to me that so many people are not taking the time to actually start, and that's the most important thing, just just taking a chance and starting. In fact, there was an article today in Bloomberg that was talking about how if you want to make a killing on Wall Street, start meditating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe that's what it's going to take to get people to kind of get into this, get into the mindset and actually sit with themselves without, without doing anything. Well, there is the concept that slowing down to be more productive is essential. So when we slow our bodies and our brains down, when we take that time to be present, to be comfortable in our own skin, we're actually giving ourselves an opportunity to catch up with all that has happened in the day, which we don't often do in a, in the course of normal operations. Right. And, and Lisa, how often are you med- meditating for? I am a one-time-a-day meditator for 20 minutes. The second time, it, when I started meditating, I was trained um, in Vedic meditation that I should meditate twice a day for 20 minutes, once first thing in the morning and once in the early evening. Not too late because it's stimulating and it would, it would prevent me from falling asleep. That's what I was trained. But I find that second 20-minute meditation really challenging. And for many people, even just one 20-minute meditation is very challenging. Right. But it definitely can change. We always say like once will change your day and more will change your life. You just feel such a shift when you stop and get present and meditate and take the time to just be silent with yourself. Yes. And I would posit that one can even do it in a shorter period of time that when, when I introduce the concept of meditation and mindfulness to clients that I say, do me a favor, let's take three minutes and let me take you through a process and prove to you that even in three minutes, you can catch your breath. Absolutely. And I also think you can do it at Starbucks when you're standing in line and just connect with your breath. Yes. You know, instead of having this, there's a lot of, you know, dead space when you're filling up your tank or when you're standing in Starbucks or when you're um, sitting and waiting for something where you can actually utilize that time and do your own meditation. You don't need to go to a place to meditate, but you do need to connect with something. And I think the breath is one of the easiest things to connect with because the breath is the only organ you can actually control. I love that. I love what you just said. Let's let's throw out some tips for those who can't make it to the studio, which you just gave a couple about the breath that one can do it while gassing the tank. Okay, the great. Car. <laughs> I mean, for me, the best tip for anyone, and I always tell them this, is to give themselves permission to think. If you can close your eyes and you can close your mouth, you can actually meditate. So let's start with that's where the bar is. Lower the bar to the ground and have zero expectations of yourself. So even if you're thinking nonstop, you're still meditating if you go back to your focus point. So for everyone who's listening at home, 
my quickest best tip for meditating is to find your breath. So whether it's coming out of your nostrils or your chest raises and lowers as you breathe or you're feeling it in your belly, take a second to actually connect with your breath. Once you find that, then close your eyes and experience and feel your breath. And as you're feeling your breath, when a thought pops into your head, label it thinking or not breath. One of, one of the teachers at Unplug is pretty amazing, and she says there's two things you can do in meditation, breath and not breath. Not breath is thoughts, feelings, emotions, and your to-do list. Breath is your breath. Every time you have not breath, just bring it back to the breath. And you can do that in traffic when you're feeling like you're stuck with your eyes open. Just by experiencing your breath, you're going to shift your mood and you're going to get present and anchor yourself into the present moment. And when we're in the present moment, we cannot be worrying about the past or stretch or stressing about the future. I mean, that is really the gift of what meditation can do for us. Absolutely. And I, I love that book by Eckhart Tolle called The Power of Now, because he, he kind of points out the silliness of the fact that we're, we're so obsessed with something that we have no control over. The only thing we do have control over is this second, this very moment that we have right now. And we don't get it back. Like the five minutes ago that just passed, you and I will never relive. None of us will ever relive it. And I, you know, pose the question, how was it for you? You know, was it, was it full? Was it present? Was there joy? Was there awareness? Or was there sadness, grief, needless suffering? And, you know, on and on and on. All the ruminations, both positive and negative. But yet we can't recapture it. Right. So just being aware of what is at that moment is one of the greatest gifts that you can have. And then what the best part about it is the effects that it has afterwards. Because once you figure out how you can connect with your breath and how you can anchor into the present moment and be present, you have better connections with your children, with your friends, with your spouse, with your family. You can have those better connections just on being present. And really like looking at someone in the eyeballs when you're talking to them and experiencing them for what they are at that moment. Where do you see Unplug in five years? You know, what, what's, what's your plan? Uh, you know, that's the thing. My goal right now is to make this one as successful as possible and really create an experience where everyone who walks in can walk out and say, that was amazing. And, and by the way, they're all having their own internal experience. None of us have a shared experience because when you meditate, it's all about you going inside of yourself. Um, but you, my goal would be to see it go global. I mean, I'm not just thinking that it should be in the top 10 most stressed cities in America. I would love to see. I've been getting emails and letters from people saying, I want to open it in Belgium. I want to open it in Tokyo. I want to open it in Paris. And I would love to see the whole world meditate. That is my intention. That is my goal, is to share this gift with the world. And that is a beautiful intention. Thank you, Susie Yaloff-Schwartz. To learn more, please visit UnplugMeditation.com. On Twitter, it is at UnplugMeditati, like Illuminati. And then on Facebook, it is UnplugMeditation. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. 
We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress Cayman has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about quieting the mind in a noisy world. And my next guest is a shining example of just that. Dan Harris is co-anchor of ABC News' Nightline and also co-anchor for the weekend edition of Good Morning America. Before that, he was the anchor of the Sunday edition of World News. He regularly contributes stories on ABC for such shows as 2020, World News with Diane Sawyer, and GMA. Harris has reported from all over the planet covering wars in Afghanistan, Israel, Palestine, and Iraq, and produced investigative reports in Haiti, Cambodia, and the Congo. He's also spent many years covering America's faith scene, with a focus uh, on evangelicals who have treated him kindly, despite the fact that he is openly agnostic. He's been at ABC News for 13 years, receiving Murrow and Emmy Awards for his reporting. Prior to joining ABC, he was in local news in both Boston and Maine. He grew up outside of Boston and currently lives with his wife, Bianca, in New York City. Dan is also the author of his first book, 10% happier how i tamed the voice in my head reduced stress without losing my edge and found self-help that actually works and by the way this is a true story welcome dan thanks for joining us thanks for having me i appreciate it oh well this is uh in perfect alignment with what we do over here let's talk about your accidental quest to boost your personal happiness without losing your edge yeah, well, for me, it all it all started with a panic attack, actually, on live television in 2004. Uh, I was anchoring the news updates on Good Morning America, and um, I was I had done the job before, so I had no reason to to foresee what was about to happen. But um, a couple seconds into my uh, my shtick uh, of reading the you know the headlines. Um, I was overtaken by this irresistible bolt of fear, and and my heart started racing, my palms were sweating, my mouth dried up, my lungs seized up, and uh, I just couldn't breathe. So I had to quit right in the middle of it, and um, obviously that was scary and embarrassing, and um, 
I later learned uh, 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 that uh, you know when I went to see a doctor about about the panic attack, he asked me a bunch of questions. One of which was, "Do you do drugs?" And I sheepishly said, "Yeah, I do." And he said, okay, mystery solved. And the backstory is that I had spent a lot of time in war zones as a young reporter after 9-11, Iraq, Afghanistan, Israel, West Bank, et cetera, et cetera. And I had gotten depressed and I had done a very, very dumb thing, which is that I self-medicated with uh, cocaine and ecstasy. And my doctor explained to me that even though I had only been doing drugs for a short period of time and somewhat intermittently, it was enough to raise the level of adrenaline in my brain and, and uh, prompt that panic attack. And in that moment, I really knew I had to make some changes. Wow. And uh, you made a change for the good. I too am a meditator. So I know exactly what you are talking about, how this tool can be such a blessing in one's life. Yeah, it really, it it can be. Um, You know, for me, just to complete the loop here, it it wasn't like... uh, I quit doing drugs, you know, nine years ago and, and immediately started meditating. Actually, slightly more bizarre than that, I was I was also assigned, as you mentioned in your introduction, to cover religion for ABC News. And after several years of that, I kind of stumbled into meditation by reading some self-help books, which initially I thought were bogus. And then um, and then I, I kind of from there stumbled into Buddhism and uh, Buddhist meditation which is, you know, really basically quite secular. And, um, uh, and it's had a big effect on my life. You know, I, I, uh, I called the book 10% Happier for a reason. It's not going to solve all of your problems, but it definitely it changes your relationship to the problem. And that really becomes the issue, I think, the portal to one's happiness is this relationship with the problem, whatever that problem may be. Yeah, I mean, look... There, you can't change the fact that life is often difficult, and we live in a universe characterized by impermanence, where nothing lasts, including us, uh, and uh, where we are in control of very little. And um, so suffering is going to be part of that. Uh, so, to, so it's irresponsible, I think, to tell people that you've come up with something that's going to solve all of their problems, because that's just... There, there aren't really happy endings in that in that sense. Um, but what what you do have control over is how you handle the issues that arise in your life. And um, and I think meditation just kind of boosts the, your ability, boosts your resilience and resourcefulness internally. Agreed. Let's talk a little bit more about your journey. So you went to your doctor. Your doctor told you that the uh, self medicating was uh, what caused a spike in the adrenaline that uh, contributed to the anxiety attack. You continued or began researching um, through self-help how you might help yourself. You stumble upon Buddhist meditation, and then what? How do you put it into play in your life? What happened next? Well, initially I was very resistant because um, I always assumed that meditation was like for weirdos and and freaks and hippies (laughs) and people who wear robes and live in yurts and uh, are really like aromatherapy and uh, ultimate Frisbee. So it was not my, I, I, w- I came at it with a bunch of cultural prejudices. Um, but what, what allowed me to embrace it were, were two things, really. One was the science. I mean, there's, there is a significant amount of science that strongly suggests a large and long list of um, 
health benefits from reducing your blood pressure to boosting your immune system to literally rewiring key parts of your brain uh, that in ways that will boost your happiness. And so that was compelling to me. And the second thing was learning that meditation is actually very simple brain exercise, at least the kind of meditation I do, which is known as mindfulness meditation. There's no robes. They're sitting, you don't have to sit in a funny position. You don't have to join a group or pay any fees or believe anything and in particular uh, or, you know, um, uh, wear special outfits. It, it's just, a pretty simple portable thing that you can do. And so when I learned those two things, I started, I decided to give it a shot. I started with five minutes a day and over time I, I, uh, I gradually increased it. And you know, you say something that I think is very compelling to help people see that meditation is not some woo woo group hug. And that is that, um, it's really about, uh, the, the, the focus is on not focusing really. It's more about an observance about just being aware in this mindful state of what is going on around you or in your own body. Yeah, I mean, I think it might be helpful for your listeners. I, I can describe the three steps that are involved in, in meditation. It, the, the technology reporter for the New York Times asked me to teach him how to meditate in fewer characters than it takes to send a tweet, which I was able to do. So I'll give you a short, <laughs> straight, the the uh, somewhat longer version, but it's still very short. The first step is sit up straight with your eyes closed. The second step is uh, to try to feel your breath coming in and going out. Usually we pick one spot wherever you're feeling it most prominently. It's usually the belly or your nose. So you're just trying to focus on the feeling uh, of the breath coming in and going out. And then the third step is the big one which is that as soon as you try to do this, your mind's going to go crazy. You're going to start thinking about, well, what am I going to have for lunch? Do I need a haircut? Why did I say that dumb thing to my boss, et cetera, et cetera. This is, just, you're, this is just the way the mind works. It's not a problem. You just, every time you notice your mind is off and running, you just catch, catch, your, catch yourself and return your focus to the breath. And you're just going to have to do that over and over and over again. And that is the whole shebangabang. That's, that's meditation. Every time you catch your mind wandering and return your attention to your breath, you are breaking a lifetime of habit of walking around in a fog of projection into the future or rumination about the past, and you're actually focusing on what's happening right now. And that is a bicep curl for your brain, and you see the results on the brain scans. Uh, and it's not much more complicated than that. And in addition to seeing the results on the brain scan, you feel the results in your body, in your mental clarity, the, the, the acuity of the mind after a period of time of the practice. I mean, I find that that is what is most stunning about this very simple practice. And it is a practice. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I like to talk about the science because I think it's the way that it kind of opens the door for skeptics. But once you start practicing, it does, you, don't, you, know, you never think about the science anymore, really. It's not like you're, uh, you continue to meditate because you, 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 uh, in the hopes that your brain is going to look different on some scan. You're not going to get your brain scanned anyway unless you're in a, ex, some sort of extreme situation. So really why you meditate is because, at least in my view, because there are two main benefits. Well, maybe three. One is you, your ability to focus gets better. You know, this daily practice of finding your mind off and wandering and then returning your focus to your breath. That is, uh, you know, the kryptonite for, for, for much of what modern society teaches us to do, which is to 
constantly be distracted by the latest tweet and email and status update, et cetera, et cetera. Again, I'm not anti-technology, but I just I think that uh, the way we use technology, it often increases our um, uh, level of, of being frazzled. Uh, so the second thing that it helps do for you, and in my opinion, this is the biggie, is it gives you uh, mindfulness. And now uh, this is a bit of a buzz phrase. People, I think, use this word and often don't know what they're talking about. But one, and also, by the way, mindfulness is such a rich term, it means a lot of things. But one simple, serviceable definition of mindfulness is the ability to see what's going on in your head at any given moment without getting carried away by it. So I'll say that again, because I just think that this is the big, this is the big kahuna. The ability to see what's happening in your mind right now without taking the bait and being yanked around by it. And that is a superpower. I mean, that, you know, why do we find ourselves eating when we're not hungry or, or um, you know, losing our temper when it's strategically unwise or checking our BlackBerry when our kids are trying to talk to us? Why? Because we're insufficiently mindful of what's happening, you know, internally. And, and therefore, our, the voice in our head, our, you know, our, our, our thinking mind yanks us around. Our urges and impulses are in control. And mindfulness is, is the antidote to that. And um, it's very, very useful in a business context, in a parenting context. It can, it can help with road rage. It can help with lots and lots of things. Um, we are going to, and, and Dan, we are going to mindfully and gracefully okay. dance off to a break. And when we return, oh, okay. we're going to carry on the conversation with Dan Harris. To learn more, you can visit him at Dan Harris ABC on Facebook. And the book, once again, is 10% Happier, How I Tame the Voice in My Head, Reduce Stress Without Losing My Edge, and Found Self-Help That Actually Works, A True Story. Um, and we are going to come back. We're going to carry on this conversation about uh, mindfulness, about paying attention to life, about paying attention to what uh, to one's surroundings. You're listening to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Do you like Lisa's take on happiness, well-being, and human flourishing? Join us this spring as Harvesting Happiness launches online classroom programming where Lisa Cypress-Kamen will offer her workshop series across the globe and from the comfort of wherever you are. Visit HarvestingHappiness.com for more details. Be a part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the Medical Center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. 
Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download the podcast of this show. We are talking about mindfulness, quieting the mind in a noisy world. And my guest is Dan Harris of ABC's News Nightline and also the co-anchor of the weekend edition of Good Morning America. And he's written a book, 10% Happier, that really deals with his journey and quest to quiet his own mind, to find uh, peace within his busy world and uh, quiet some panic attack that he had while on the air. So, Dan, let's let's jump back into this conversation and talk about meditation's towering PR problem, how the press has not been helpful in the past to meditation's image. I don't think it's the press that's the problem. I think it's just that the way meditation has been presented in this country for too long leaves too many of us out of the conversation. You know, it's presented in this syrupy, touchy-feely way. Often, like, it feels to me, a lot of these meditation books, it's like you're you're reading out of a fortune cookie or something like that, you know? And, and it's really off-putting to those of us who were raised in the age of irony. And, um, uh, and I make a lot of fun of these people, even though a lot of them are now my friends, in my books. And I try to do it in a loving way because I know they're not doing it on purpose. I just think that the, this vital message that they carry and this incredible work that they do, by they I'm referring to the meditation teachers, of changing people's lives, literally changing their minds, is, I think, ghettoized by the fact that they're using language that's left over from the age of Aquarius. Uh, and, you know, another thing I think that hurts is that the artwork the traditional artwork around meditation where you see these little Buddha statues or pictures of people meditating and they have these beatific looks on their face and all that stuff. I think that that sends a really troubling message in some ways, because the fact is meditation is hard and you aren't going to sit down and float off into bliss unless you're cheating or enlightened. Uh, and most people aren't enlightened and uh, want to do meditation correctly. And if you do meditation correctly, it's like going to the gym. You know, if you go to the gym uh, and you're not sweating and panting, you're doing something wrong. And if you if you meditate and you're not finding yourself constantly getting lost and then having the, to require, you know, having to summon the grit to return your your attention back to your breath, then you're doing something wrong. And uh, so those to me are the are the primary problems. And also, I think it's important to point out that this is ancient technology. People have been meditating for thousands of years, and it's applicable for the modern world because it teaches us to be comfortable in our own bodies. It it teaches us to just quiet ourselves down, which is a a problem of the human condition. You know, it's not so much that you're quieting yourself down. It's that that you're, you're not making... You're not making the mental noise worse than it needs to be. You're not feeding it. You know, neurologically, we don't know where thoughts and impulses and urges come from. We don't. You know, you have a thought that pops into your head. Neurologically, we can't explain where that comes from. We don't know. It's the great mystery of consciousness. Yet, we spend a lot of time either holding ourselves responsible for the things we think or feeding it through, you know, compulsive rethinking. Um, and what med- mindfulness and meditation allows you to do is just to kind of 
allow those things to pass. Um, notice, you know, I'm getting angry right now, but I don't need to feed it or get carried away by it, et cetera, et cetera. And that is just extremely valuable. There's nothing mystical about that. There's no white light or string music that's going to kick in. Uh, it's just a skill uh, that you can build and practice through daily meditation. And so I'm really just trying to take all the touchy-feely, gooey stuff out of it and talk to, a, talk to you about it, you know, at a, at a level that's comprehensible and that seems doable. You know, and, and I, I think that's key. I think we need to empower people by telling them this is doable. There's nothing unique about your mind, which you may feel is, is unusually busy, et cetera, et cetera. That's the way every mind is. And meditation is hard. Uh, let's talk about some well-known individuals or groups of people who meditate and why, because I think our listeners might find this very interesting. Yeah, I mean, we've seen, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing something really interesting happening in our culture right now, which is that meditation, which normally was confined to sort of uh, the fringes, has started to move into the mainstream in a very, very interesting way. We, ha- we now have this elite subculture of highly effective people who are embracing this ancient practice. And uh, this includes CEOs and executives of major corporations from Google to General Mills to Target. Uh, It includes elite athletes like the Seattle Seahawks, who just won the Super Bowl not too long ago, Novak Djokovic, the star tennis player, Olympians. Uh, It includes entertainers like the lead singer of Weezer, Katy Perry, the rapper 50 Cent. And perhaps most interestingly, it includes members of the U.S. military. Both the U.S. Marines and U.S. Army are spending millions of dollars to study whether meditation can help with the epidemic of PTSD and also make smarter, more resilient warriors in the field, more effective uh, and careful warriors in the field. And so, you know, I just think this is an incredible development. And I believe what we're seeing is the beginning of the next big public health revolution, that meditation in the not too distant future will be thought of the same way we think about uh, physical exercise. This will just be mental hygiene, mental exercise. I agree with you. And I want to mention something about the military because I work with a lot of our veterans when they return home from war. And I work with them in the capacity of applied positive psychology coaching and mindfulness training. And I find that when they are um, given this tool, when they are shown how to do it, that the relief that they are able to feel very quickly is astounding. It is a a hugely empowering tool. And they already possess the skills through their training for mindfulness. I mean, when they're out in in theater, they are highly attuned. Their intuition is, you know, uh, geared up to the nth degree. And it is how to rewire that all for civilian life and to accommodate the challenges that they may be experiencing with PTS. So this is, you're right, this is a hugely, hugely important tool, not just for vets, but for anybody who's challenged by any trauma. Yeah, I mean, we all have mindfulness. Uh, it is, it, you know, to put it in like video game speak, it's kind of this bonus level in your brain slash mind that most people aren't aware of. Uh, and, uh, because nobody points it out to us in our culture, really, but that your, your mind is capable of doing more than just thinking all the time that actually you have this other ability, which is to just be non-judgmentally aware of things like your listeners may be sitting down in a car right now. They are aware of the feeling of their butts on the car seat, but they weren't thinking about it until I just pointed it out. So that 
secure awareness is a capability of mind that can be uh, cultivated and you can train it up. And why is that useful? Because you can harness it then to notice uh, all sorts of things about your, what's happening in your mind so that those things don't yank you around. You can use mindfulness to notice, oh, I'm starting to feel angry because I'm noticing my stomach is churning, my chest is buzzing, my ears are turning red. But maybe this situation doesn't require or nece uh, necessitate anger. And, uh, and uh, I, I can, instead of just reacting blindly, respond wisely. I liken it to becoming the neutral observer as well, you know, the, the, the ability to observe what's going on and not be reactive to it necessarily, that that's one of the byproducts for me. I mean, that's what you're training with extreme prejudice when you're meditating. You're, you're, you're developing this ability that you have to uh, be a neutral observer to, the, to what's happening in your own mind. Um, and we, again, we, Nobody really in our culture, nobody points out that we have this ability, but actually, you know, it requires training. We train our minds to think in certain ways. We go to school, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But we never really, most of us until recently, haven't been told how to train our minds to simply sit back and observe whatever is happening so that we can, uh, again, not be yanked around by it. And I, you know, I just think that to me, it's a revolutionary notion. I'll just add one last thing, you know. Taxonomically, our species is classified as Homo sapiens sapiens. Homo sapiens sapiens. There are two sapiens. And that means the man who thinks and knows he thinks. So uh, that, that second level, that second sapiens is often lost in our culture. And, and what meditation does is, is, is restore it. Very, very well put. Let's share um, a couple of tips to help us stay stress-free at work because we're, we're, we're just about out of time. So I want to uh, send our listeners off with a couple of tips from you to them on how to keep it real and relaxed at work. Well, one thing I'll say is that meditation is, is, not, is best not used in acute situations. In other words, like you, if something crappy is happening at work, it's not like you can just you know, close the door and meditate and it's all going to go away. I, I, to me, I, I, I feel like I've had people, you know, who are having bad days come to my office and say, okay, we got to meditate right now. And it doesn't really work that way. It's more preventive than it is. If you have a base of practice, uh, then I think that actually the way you respond to situations will become more supple and wise over time. So here are my practical suggestions. Number one, start meditating five minutes a day. I don't, you know, it, it doesn't need to be something you add to your list of things to do that's further stressing you out. That defeats the purpose. Five minutes is enough. And I think there's a power in the dailiness of it. That daily collision with the voice in your head, the chatter in your head, will allow you some percentage of the time when the chatter offers up a bad suggestion, like, you know, yell at somebody or whatever, to resist. My second suggestion is stop multitasking to the best of your ability. Now, obviously, we need to multitask sometimes. But the fact of the matter is, Neurologically, we are only capable of focusing on one thing at a time. So when you think you're multitasking, really what you're doing is doing many things poorly. Um, and I found that it's a huge, huge game-changing development in my work that if I just try the best of my ability to do one thing at a time, I get everything done quicker and I'm, I'm, I'm much less frazzled. 
Now, again, you, you, there are times when you need to, you know, balance a bunch of things at once. So you don't need to be too militant about it. But I, I think if you do both of these things, you will find that your work life becomes significantly better. Thank you for those tips. To learn more, you can buy the book, 10% Happier, How I Tamed the Voice in My Head, Reduced Stress Without Losing My Edge, and Found Self-Help That Actually Works, a true story by Dan Harris. To connect with Dan, you can visit him at Twitter. It's Dan B. Harris is the handle. On Facebook, Dan Harris ABC. Thank you for joining us, Dan. You've been an absolute delight, and congratulations on on your practice and bringing it out to the masses. We we sorely need it out there in the world, and this is a wonderful contribution. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure being on. Likewise, and here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen, and my guests today, Susie Schwartz and Dan Harris, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. And thanks to our producers who make us shine each and every week. We are grateful to you and appreciate you. Tune in next week. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress Kamen. Join us every Wednesday morning live at 10 to 11 Central Time here on TogiNet Radio. Then harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with free downloadable podcasts available at iTunes. To learn more about Lisa's filmography, felicitation, and philanthropy, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Each week, Harvesting Happiness presents engaging trendsetters, exploring our world through science, art, medicine, media, music, philosophy, politics, and the human heart, whose perspectives on life are sure to inspire, provoke, and engage. Lisa's diverse guests are a proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Like Lisa says, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following us on Twitter at hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Then join us again next week at this same time on the TogiNet Radio Network.